This is Over the Culture Podcast, where you get to hear my spin on things I like, like music, sports, sports entertainment, movies, TV shows, and your mom. You also get to hear about things I don't like, like people that are too old to be misguided souls. And I am your bastard of ceremonies, the one gig kid, Pat Stay Black, Alex Black, Reefer Sutherland, Luke Fly Talker, the most interesting blurred in podcasting, the troll of trolls, the prince of petty, Steve G. It's November 7th, 2021. 21. And over the week, I was on my way to work. And just as I'm getting to the main street where my job is, I damn near got sideswiped by a motherfucker in a big red pickup truck. And I I could tell that the guy was older than me. He had some middle-aged weight to him. Uh, he had a, a mustache of epic proportions. It, it rivaled Raleigh Fingers in goddamn The Whispers Band. I don't know if he could see past his mustache. He had the Fu Manju. It's just something about a black guy with a, he was a black guy, an older black guy with a Fu Manju. And, and black guys that have Fu Manjus, I don't know. I They're damn near in the same bracket as black guys with no facial hair. And I have trust issues with black guys with no facial hair. Word to Dion Cole. Uh, and, and maybe there is a, a trait or a characteristic with black guys with Fu Manjus. Maybe they just cannot get right. They have no direction, no guidance. They're just driving around on freeways of Atlanta and surrounding areas in their fucking big red ass pickup truck. And oh, I got a pickup truck. Ah. Uh, am I going east or am I going west? If I veer, uh, they could just avoid me. I got a big red pickup truck. What the fuck? I run the road. Uh, where am I going? I got all these steering wheels. I, I got four. I, I got four wheels under my car, and I got a steering wheel. I got all these wheels. What the fuck do I do? Ah, fucking walrus-faced motherfucker. Uh, and unfortunately, my horn doesn't work uh, because. My Nissan ain't about shit. Don't want to be about shit. Ain't never going to be about shit. But it's my bitch. It's my bitch with no horn. Can't toot. Can't let people know. Alarm people. I can't communicate to the, the rest of the drivers how shitty of a job they're doing and driving. It's frustrating. Especially when someone is just that out of it they don't know what the fuck is going on around them I, I wish you could have seen this fucking asshole this Steve Harvey like fucking grimace of his I, I gave him the the side middle finger when I drove by uh, and then when I drove by him uh, I, I gave him the the rear view mirror middle finger that's the best I can do because my Nissan ain't got a horn it don't work it's beat up. And my Nissan Altima stood no chance against this guy's big red fucking pickup truck. Hell, my Nissan didn't stand a chance against his goddamn mustache. He was like a Black Hawk Hogan with that goddamn thing. He either looked like a professional wrestler or he fucking does magic tricks at the circus. But nonetheless, I was heated. This is just right as I'm getting to work. Threw me off. Didn't fuck up my day completely. Just a little rattle. It's inconsiderate. I'm big on consideration. And it, I get it. We all don't have it figured out. All the time in life. 
But I feel like you, when you reach a certain age, there's some things that you should have down packed. Veering off in the middle of the day, in, in the freeway, and on busy streets. Like, no, what the fuck? What are you doing? What are you about in life? This man had to be uh, no younger than his 40s. See, he's somewhere in his 40s at the youngest. He might have been in his 50s. I didn't get that good of a look, but I can tell the man was older than me, and I'm knocking on the door of 40. And I know better. I didn't have fines. I didn't got tickets. I didn't have to go to court for a little bullshit, taking up my time, my sweet, precious time. And I try on my end to avoid all of that shit, even if the other driver is driving like a fucking asshole. Even if I have the right of way and I see this motherfucker trying to make a left turn right in front of me, I'm going to break because it's just a whole nother can of worms that I don't want to open up. I don't want to have to talk to this person in his dumb ass non-driving self. I don't want to have to see this person ever again. I don't want to have to go to court. I don't want to have to talk to police. I don't want to have to talk to my insurance company. Oh, people. People in general get in the fucking way. I, I just wish I, I had the funds, uh, the, the proper income to have customized uh, statements or greetings to these assholes on the road. And because I'm petty and I have that kind of fucking time, just not the funds, I would be very specific for guys specifically like this. Hey, Reginald Vell Johnson mustache, fucking bald bull the second. Get the fuck in your lane. All said through a bullhorn. Make it happen, Elon. Make it happen. Now, some big news that happened recently on Friday uh, at Travis Scott's concert at Astroworld. It's a festival that he's been trying to do an annual thing. uh, And eight people died, man. And uh, very young. There were a couple teenagers, uh, some in 21, I believe, a couple 21-year-old, 23-year-old, all young, man. And uh, I just, I'm at an age where I don't do festivals because of shit like that. It's just too many fucking people, and I just abhor people for the most part in a general sense. Uh, A concert, yes, I can do. But a festival where you're going to be out there uh, all day amongst these goddamn idiots, some of them too young to even know what the fuck they're on, what they're smoking, what they're drinking, shouldn't even be doing any of the above. Uh, But yes, they're in your presence and you're going to be with those fuckers all day trying to enjoy some of your favorite tunes. Nope. Rather watch that shit on YouTube because dumb shit like this happens. Eight people died at a concert. Trampled, they said just ran over are we mice or men humans or elephants what the fuck man and now god bless the dead uh i hate to make this sound like i'm judging but uh, such an event probably shouldn't have been attended by a lot of the kids that were there including some of the ones that died hell I was told, I read that there was a 10-year-old that died at the concert. What the fuck is a 10-year-old doing there? I never would have even thought to ask my folks to go to such uh, an an adult-like event at 10 years old. I loved Snoop Dogg back in the day, but I knew better than to ask my folks, Hey, can I go to the Snoop Dogg concert? Nah, 
I knew that there were adult things happening at this adult event. Hey, Ma, can I go to that Tupac concert? Like, no. I already know the answer to that. You're 10. Can I go to that Uncle Luke festival? Uh, yeah. That wouldn't have gone over well. But man, uh, thoughts and prayers out to the families. That's unfortunate. That's the last thing you would expect. Uh, going out to see one of your favorite artists and then you die. And then people were asking Travis Scott to stop the show. I mean, he's there to entertain. This is business. And I, he didn't even realize what was going on. He's high up on this platform. The music is loud. There's a shit ton of people making noise. And while he's performing, somebody died. Is that his job to babysit all of these people in attendance? He's an artist. He put the shit together. He showed up. It's like, these are the people that are going to be there. I'm going to be there. I'm going to come on the stage at this time. And all right, get that bag, go home. All is well. No. So now uh, one of the families is suing for a million dollars. Actually, no, one of the surviving members is suing for a million dollars. Live Nation. And, and I feel like Live Nation should take a hit because it's up to them. Security failed. Huge fucking L. How dare you to have a an event of this magnitude and you didn't have the manpower you didn't have the staff security's purpose is to prevent shit like that from happening so that everyone can have a good time obviously yeah no one expected a fucking stampede of people to break through the entrance gates yes but because you're doing such an event and this is business you should have precautionary measures set in place because people are very fucking unpredictable but I digress something else that's buzzing is Kanye's latest interview with drink champs with Nori and uh, I, I watched most of it and I gotta say it, it might be Kanye's best interview ever out of all the the radio appearances and promotions and uh, television uh, late night show interviews this might be the best one because it seemed very candid and he just lit it all lit his hair down just lit it let the cat out the bag something that stuck with me was when he said I never liked the way to live quality rapped and to live quality was on Kanye's first album. Let's get him high. It was Talib Kweli, Kanye, and Common. And Nori asked Kanye, Common or Talib Kweli? And I imagine, I, I assumed that he was going to pick Common, obviously because of the Chicago ties. Um, but he, he added to that by, you know, he's just an overall better MC. And I never liked the way to live quality rapped. And I was like, damn, man, why? Why, yay? Oh, I, I'm sorry, why did... Why, He's, he's no longer Kanye. Let's address that. He's no longer Kanye West. He's Ye. Just two letters. Just Ye. So, yeah, let, let's put that out there. So, yeah, man, that, that was a low blow, Ye. To live. He's one of the good guys. He ain't never hurt nobody. It's to live Kwali, man. He, he was a part of that collective. 
common, most deaf, to live quietly, uh, that whole backpacker movement. And, and I feel like Talib was one of the people that brought him into the mold when Kanye was still a, a relatively unknown producer uh, in, in trying to break his way into rapping. Talib Kweli was kind of a gatekeeper of sorts. Feral Munch, you could throw him in there. And they, they accepted him with open arms because the kid had chops. He still had chops. He's always had chops. He's a genius. Now, the bombacity of all of his shit, I, I can't co-sign on all of it. But man, uh, he, the, another thing he said in the interview, if he did a versus, he might have to battle four people, four different artists. And shit, the man's got the catalog. He even said he can do a versus by himself. Old Kanye versus new yay. And he could very damn well could. He very damn well could. college dropout late registration graduation versus my beautiful dark twisted fantasy 808 and heartbreak Jesus life of Pablo I mean I can't take away his work his music was very influential in my life when he dropped college dropout, I was in college. He touched on things that resonated to me. I was working dead-end jobs, you know, broke-ass college student, just trying to make a little scratch just to, you know, get a burger here and there when my Bursar card ran out. And he was the first rapper that I could actually relate to, that I could identify with. He wasn't a gangster. He wasn't a thug. He wasn't a dope boy, a street dude, a pimp shoot him up stick up kid nah he was from middle income middle America educated charismatic and the guy could go no pun intended Chicago MC's are just about on par with those Detroit MC's they don't come up weak word to Twista Word to Common. GLC? Remember him? Yeah. He was a part of that Kanye collective. Do or die? Even Crucial Conflict has some bangers. But yeah, man, it's worth checking out if you're a fan of Kanye or, or, or Ye, I'm sorry, Mr. West. If you're a fan of Ye, if you like the Drink Champs series, it's on YouTube. Uh, it's like 11 hours long. And like I said, I watched most of it, but uh, at some point I had to go to sleep. And uh, something else I couldn't avoid knowing about is this whole Henry Ruggs situation. Uh, he was a wide receiver for the Las Vegas Raiders, and he got into a fiery car crash. His blood alcohol content was twice the speed, twice the, the limit, twice the legal limit. And uh, he ended up killing a lady and her dog in the process. And there's a video of him by the road, sitting down on the street with his girlfriend consoling him. And they're just staring at this burning car. Now, Henry Ruggs 
He uh, was a three-sport athlete in high school. He played college football at Alabama, and he was actually the fastest player at the 2020 NFL Combine. The Raiders selected him with the 12th pick in the first round. So he was a first-round draft pick, and the man is only 22 years old. This young man is 22 years old from Montgomery, Alabama, and his life is already over. The Raiders cut him from the team expeditiously, word to T.I., and uh, I mean, in the words of Fred Sanford, you big dummy. I, I can't really have sympathy for Henry Ruggs. Um, I mean, he, apparently he had a baby on the way. His girlfriend or fiance, his, his, his girl, his lady was pregnant. They were expecting and it's off to a rocky start. When first responders arrived at the scene, the Toyota was on fire with a deceased victim along with her deceased dog. Um, and the victim was later identified as 23-year-old Tina Tentor, who initially survived the crash. The preliminary investigation indicates the front of the Chevrolet collided with the rear of the Toyota. The driver of the Chevrolet, identified as Ruggs, remained on scene and showed signs of impairment. Uh, he was transported uh, to be treated for non-life-threatening injuries, and he's expected to be charged with driving under the influence, resulting in death. Ruggs was reportedly driving at speeds of 156 miles per hour two seconds before the crash. His alcohol, blood alcohol content was 0.161. All that work, man. All those summer camps, those two-a-days, those conditionings, those practices, those Friday night light games. Saturdays with Roll Tide in college. You made it to the big leagues. Two years into the seat, two years into your career, and you do this shit. I, I can't. How can you have sympathy? There, there were so many other avenues to take. No pun intended. There's Uber. And my guy, you, you play for the NFL. You play in the NFL. You, you could have afforded the, the Uber Ultra Mega Super Zord X. Fucking a limo with titties on it. God damn it. But you didn't. Your girlfriend, his girl apparently was with him. Uh, and I like to think she wasn't drinking. She could have drove. Fuck. You're playing the NFL. You could have chanced it and just left your car wherever the fuck you were. And if it got towed, uh, just get it out. You play in the NFL. Well, you played in the NFL. And speaking of guys who used to play in the NFL, uh, Netflix just released its one of its latest series called Colin in Black and White, uh, which focuses on the the early life of Colin Kaepernick. And uh, it's a must see. It's, it's six episodes and it's produced and co-created uh, with Ava DuVernay, uh, the infamous Ava DuVernay. And um, I, I, I watched most of it. Uh, I'm going to finish it sometime during this week. And, uh, you know, I, he touched on some things that resonated with me because I grew up in a predominantly, well, I didn't grow up, but I attended a predominantly white high school in Perrysburg, Ohio, in, in middle of America, USA. And, uh, you know, playing sports, you're, you're the token black in on the teams, in the school, and uh, certain people will take let's say advantage certain people will take advantage of the situation because you're outnumbered 
they'll test the waters, they'll say some things uh, out of ignorance, or because they just think that they're that funky with you. They can get with you. And there's this whole internal dialogue of, should I be the upstanding Negro and do the, just, just ignore him and walk away? Or should I give him that motherfucking action? And they touched on that in different ways. So yeah, Colin in black and white. Uh, and the guy that plays him, the, uh, a teenage Colin Kaepernick, does a really good job. Uh, I mean, I don't know. It, it's not really asking for much. I, I don't expect a uh, Emmy nomination for the kid, but it's very well done story. Uh, it also has Mary Louise Parker. She plays Teresa Kaepernick, his mom, and Nick Offerman uh, from Parks and Rec. Uh, he, and he doesn't have his mustache. He plays Rick Kaepernick. So check that out. Colin in black and white on Netflix. Shout out to the Atlanta Braves and their fans. Um, I, I saw the parade that they had and they they whizzed by downtown. They were on that bus and they were like, oh, yeah, thank you. All right, man, we get the fuck out of here. I don't know. Just going off of what I see. But, you know, hey, congrats to those guys. Uh, you know, I, I just couldn't find it in myself to go for the Astros. Um Motherfuckers in Houston don't want to see me winning, goddamn, and I ain't pulling for none of your teams. Not a Texan, not a Rocket, not a goddamn Astro. Shit. Bang that garbage can, motherfucker. And despite the Braves beating my Indians in 95, you know, hey, you, you just weren't Houston Astros. And, and I live here, so I was like, okay, let, let's go for, for the home team. Now, on Friday... Key Glock dropped his latest project called Yellow Tape 2. And I'm familiar with Key Glock. He's collaborated with 21 Savage. 21. 21. And uh, I was impressed with, with the collaborations I heard. And uh, I was impressed with Yellow Tape 2. The album is 20 songs, 53 minutes, 33 seconds, um, and it's got some features, but if you look at the listing of the album, he kind of did a Kanye, he pulled a yay when every track is listed as just Key Glock, but uh, it, it's not going to be for my hip-hop purists, uh, disclaimer, the man's name is Key Glock, uh, so you should expect uh, what to get, in the. In, it says it in the advertisement. Uh, hi, uh, my stage name is Key Glock. I, part of my name is the nickname for a gun. So, some of the tracks that I added, Bill Gates, uh, Don't Know Who to Trust, Juice Man. Actually, I'm going to cut the crap. I added most of this fucking album to my playlist. I was blown away, Key Glock. I'm going to be checking for you, Key Glock. I look forward to more projects, Mr. Glock. So if you like that ratchet shit, if you, I, and, and I hate to despair, it sounds like I'm cutting them down by saying ratchet shit, but if you like that trap shit, if you like a, that Gucci Mane La Flair, that 21, some of that future shit, that 808 shit, dope boys talking that shit over some heavy bass, check out that Yellow Tape 2 by Key Glock. And uh, I was surprised last Sunday, which was Halloween, Limp Biscuit came back and dropped an album called the still sucks limp biscuit still sucks is the album and 
once again i was fucking impressed it, it exceeded my expectations i'm not going to say how high my expectations were but wherever the fuck they were uh i was impressed and in listening to the album it, it, it was higher than those expectations uh the album still sucks is 32 minutes and one second 12 tracks it is one of the songs that stood out was love the hate where they're kind of mentioning some of the criticisms over the years about Limp Biscuit, things said in the tabloids and the media and all of that, blah, blah, blah. And he calls attention to it. Um, you know, he, he kind of did a Marshall Mathers approach where it's like, I'm addressing the shit that's been said about me. I'm, I'm taking the, the air out of your fight here. But to any of my Limp Biscuit purists, if you were ever a fan, uh, even if it was just for those first two albums, $3 Bill Y'all and Significant Other, check out that Still Sucks. Because I didn't think it sucked. But all things November 7th. In 1989, Queen Latifah drops the album All Hail the Queen. And Queen Latifah is one of my favorite female MCs of all time. She's up there with Missy Elliott, uh, MC Light, and uh, sorry, hate to break the news to y'all, but Lauryn Hill is not on my Mount Rushmore. And as much clout as people want to give that one fucking album and that one Fuji's album, nah, I need more. But Queen Latifah's up there. In 1991, on, on November 7th, Izzy Stradlin quits Guns N' Roses. Eh, never was really big on Guns N' Roses. I just feel like they had one of the greatest debuts ever. Uh, I'm more of an Appetite for Destruction fan and not Guns N' Roses. Uh, and on that same day, Frank Zappa's children, Dweezil and Moon, announced to an audience in New York that their father is unable to attend the tribute concert to his music because he is seriously ill with prostate cancer. Uh, R.I.P. Frank Zappa. Uh, in 1995, Alice in Chains releases the album Alice in Chains. Coolio releases the album Gangsta's Paradise, and I actually got that off of the strength of the title track. Uh, it was pumped into our veins all throughout that summer for Dangerous Mind soundtrack, and it was on BT, VH1, all of that shit. But looking back on it, the album wasn't that bad. It wasn't great but it wasn't bad and, and on that same day in 1995 goody my releases the album soul food and that was another album that i had and i was in seventh grade at the time uh coming i mean soul food come and get your soul food that was the title track one of the releases and cell therapy that was the one who's that peeking in my window wow cujo big gip CeeLo. Timo, uh, guest vocalists on this album include Andre 3000 and Big Boy of Outkast, Cool Breeze and Witch Doctor. Uh, in 1996, it was certified gold as sales stand at over 500,000 units in the U.S. Uh, and this album is dedicated to the memory of Sheila J. Tyler Calloway, uh, CeeLo Green's late mother. Soul Food received critical acclaim for its raw, southern, socially conscious lyrics and original production from Organized Noise, part of the Dungeon Family. Along with Outkast's Southern playlistic Cadillac music, Soul Food has been regarded as one of the two albums that brought Southern hip-hop to the mainstream, and it is regarded as a Southern classic. And you know what else it does? Stands the test of time, because that's what classics do. 
In 2000, on November 7th, R. Kelly releases the album TP2.com. Uh, it would eventually win the American Music Awards Favorite Male Soul R&B Artist in 2001 and Billboard Album of the Year in 2001. And yes, we can talk shit about the man now. He's a pedo. He's a you know habitual rapist and all of that, whatever. Whatever you want to color him as. But we're not going to pretend that DB2.com did not fucking bang. 77 minutes, 46 seconds throughout 19 tracks the singles were i wish the storm is over now fiesta feeling on your booty and a woman's threat man r kelly was pretty much the king of r&b at this point before the shit hit the fan in 2003 rizza released birth of a prince and it was met with mixed reviews it's not my favorite of his uh, it's no digital bullet that that was uh Bobby just, you know, cameos, the, the production was nice, uh, and that one came out in 2001. On that same day in 2003, Ludacris released Chicken and Beer. Uh, once again, I, I was a little disappointed. Uh, it was no word of mouth or even back for the first time. In 2003, Cappadonna releases The Struggle. Never listened to it, but I think I will tonight. I am a Cappadonna fan, I'm a Wu-Tang fan, and I'm ashamed that I never heard The Struggle by Cappadonna. Uh, and on that same day in 2003, Elf is released in theaters. Will Ferrell, you can't go wrong. Just add a little Will Ferrell, stir, you're good. And, and maybe some John C. Riley if that's available. In 2008, Role Models was released in theaters, starring Paul Rudd and uh, what is it, the guy from Superbad, McLovin. Pretty funny movie. Uh, I can't even say it's a cult classic, but it had its moments. And on that same day in 2008, Soul Man uh, with Samuel Jackson and the late great Bernie. Uh, and I, I remember watching this when it first came out and I was disappointed. I'm a, I'm a huge fan of both. And this is one of those examples where the parts are greater than the sum. This was also Isaac Hayes' last film before he passed away. In 2014, Big Hero 6 was released in theaters, and I, this is one of those movies that I actually bought on DVD. Uh, I, I was impressed, and I actually wanted to get one of those little fucking robots. But yeah, man, uh, Big Hero 6, not talked about enough. And just last year, in 2020, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductees uh, were Depeche Mode, The Doobie Brothers, Whitney Houston, Nine Inch Nails, Notorious B.I.G., T-Rex, John Landau, and Irving Azoff, whoever the fuck that is. But to me, more important than all of that shit... In 1995, when Alice in Chains released Alice in Chains, when Coolio released Gangsta's Paradise and Goody Mob released Soul Food, the Jizza slash Genius released his opus, Liquid Swords. Oh, man. This album is easily one of the greatest hip-hop albums of the 90s, one of the greatest albums that came out of the Wu-Tang Collective, whether it was The Clan, as a group, uh, any of the individual members, or even Killer Priest, Sons of Man, this this is up there, man. Liquid Swords featured every member of the Wu Tang Clan: Jizza, Rizza, Inspected Deck, Ghostface Killer, Method Man, Master Killer, Raekwon, You God, ODB, and Killer Priest was in it. And some of the best verses from some of the members. 
all of the tracks were produced by RZA, except, except for track 13, which is Bible. And that's an acronym for basic instructions before leaving Earth. That was actually produced by Fourth Disciple, but everything else produced by RZA. And this is vintage RZA. In his bag RZA. Mid-90s Bobby. Before Bobby Digital. He's hitting you with those soul samples mixed in with the, the, the martial arts Shaw Brothers classics. And some hungry MCs. Young Hungry Meth, Young Hungry You God, Inspector Deck, Master K, all of those guys. Duel of the Iron Mike is one of the best Master Killer verses, in my opinion. When people shit on Master Killer and say he's not a worthy member, anyone try to downgrade or, or play a hate on that man, resort to Duel of the Iron Mike. Cold World, featuring Inspector Deck in Life, Fourth Chamber, Shadow Boxing, uh, in Investigative Reports with You God, Raekwon, and Ghostface. Man, it's just a banger. Wall to wall, from front to back, man. Look with swords. Happened on this day in 95. Day in sports history. In 1933, Pennsylvania voters overturned the Blue Law by permitting Sunday sports. In 1943, the Detroit Lions and the New York Giants have a scoreless tie, 0-0, and it's the last scoreless tie in the NFL. In 1954, Cleveland Browns' Chet Hanalak sets a club record with seven punt returns and win by their largest margin of victory of 59, beating Washington 62-3. Ouch. In 1957, Phillies pitcher Jack Sanford wins National League Rookie of the Year. In 1963, New York Yankee catcher Elston Howard is the first African American to be voted American League MVP. In 1964, the National League keeps the Braves in Milwaukee in 1965. They do consider moving to Atlanta though in 1966. Spoiler alert, they end up moving to Atlanta in 1966. In 1978, Boston Red Sox Jim Rice wins the American League MVP. In 1988, Sugar Ray Leonard knocks out Donnie Lalonde. In 1989, Baltimore's Greg Olson is the first relief pitcher to win the American League Rookie of the Year. In 1991, the first NBA game in Delta City is had. The Utah Jazz beat Seattle 103-95. On that same day in 91, Magic Johnson announces that he has the HIV virus and retires from the Los Angeles Lakers. In 1992, the first NBA game at America West Arena is held as the Phoenix Suns beat the Clippers 111 to 105. In 1996, ex-NFL running back and Heisman Trophy winner Mike Rozier is shot several times in his hometown of Camden, New Jersey. He would eventually recover. And that was my half-assed sports report. Coming up, we're going to go over the Jizz's masterpiece album, Liquid Swords, released on this day in 1995. We'll be black after these messages.
and today's birthdays for November 7th. Turning 25 today is New Zealand singer-songwriter Lord. Happy 33rd birthday to English rapper and producer Tiny Tempa. Happy 38th birthday to American actor, comedian, screenwriter, producer, and singer Adam Devine. You know, from Workaholics. Both turning 49 years old today are American actors and producers Jason and Jeremy London. Turning 64 years old today is American actor Christopher Knight, better known as Peter Brady. Turning 65 today is American actress, producer, screenwriter, and accordion player Judy Tenuta. And happy 78th birthday to Canadian singer, songwriter, and guitarist Joni Mitchell. Yeah, I've been, yeah, yeah, yeah. Whoa, 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 whoa. yeah, I've been. with my back against this wall. Call my back up, I'm from Wednesday tall. Try playing stupid till we popping out crazy. You think these hoes are gonna be blocking too bad? Abuse broke all society's rules down the sciences. Woo, higher wind, Appalachia to the islands of few. Hot denying me providing for you. Memorizing, writing nightly, God designed me to do. Never let these prawns tell the king what I need to do. Don't be surprised when the game in my hands of the chain of command. Dedication, discipline, shit they can't comprehend. Don't make me have to make the statement again. The matrix is tense. Mile high before they ever gave me an inch. Crack the code, then I'm making it glitch. Take risks with sensational gifts straight out the trench. Updated the kits. Different angles and twists, reconnaissance. Went out our way to compliment, this my kind of confidence Lock me in, this politics, bring Henny and Heineken Plenty enlightenment, these prices is priceless Comfortable with my back against this wall Call my back up, I'm from where you stand tall Try playing stupid till we popping out crazy Oh, you think these hoes are gonna be blocking too, baby Comfortable with my back against this wall Call my back up, I'm from where you stand tall They won't hit water if they fell out of boat Got them right in my skull Pop shake rooms, they think it's a joke Smoke unneeded, just the fumes make them choke In the league of my own In the league that I own From Metro Homes to what I'm doing To these metronomes is incredible Pinned up, bent up, but never broken Dreamt up or slip up From words that I've never spoken Changes in the lane, I operate simultaneous Just how I'm pacing it Good luck if you tracing it Switch LOCs before they find out What bank it is, enough with the labeling I done my enabling Awakening, red so old They grow more spontaneous Emit radiant, she only Know me by my alias Dunking fundamentals on the glass that I bank in, off the block To a day shift, I shake shit Come through with my back against These walls, call my back Up, I'm from where you stand tall Try playing stupid till we Popping up crazy 
special mention to those no longer with us. Dana Plato was an American actress. Born Dana Michelle Strain on November 7, 1964 in Maywood, California, she was an influential child actor and appeared on VH1's list of 100 Greatest Kid Stars. She was known for portraying Kimberly Drummond on the NBC-ABC sitcom Different Strokes from 1978 to 1986, for which she received a Young Artist Award nomination. Plato appeared in the horror film Exorcist II, The Heretic, 1977 as Sandra Falor and headlined the adventure horror film Return to Boggy Creek in 1977 as Evie Joe and also starred in the comedy film California Sweet in 1978 as Jenny Warren. Starting from the mid-1980s, Plato worked sporadically in independent films and B-movies. She notably led the horror game Night Trap in 1992 as Kelly Med, being one of the first celebrities to appear in a video game. She was an accomplished figure skater before acting and trained for the Olympic Games. Plato's personal life received a great deal of media coverage and she struggled with substance and alcohol abuse. On May 8, 1999, Plato and her fiance, Robert Menchaca, were returning to California and stopped at Menchaca's mother's home in Moore, Oklahoma for a Mother's Day visit. Later on in the visit, Plato said that she felt unwell and took a few doses of Lortab, along with the muscle relaxant Soma, and went to lie down inside her Winnebago motorhome with Menchaca, which was parked outside the house. Upon waking up, Menchaca and their family discovered that Plato had died in her sleep, initially assumed on accidental overdose, but later ruled a suicide based on Plato's long history of drug abuse. Her body was cremated and her ashes were scattered over the Pacific Ocean. She was 34 at the time of her death. King Kong Bundy was an American professional wrestler, actor, and stand-up comedian. Born Christopher Allen Pallies on November 7, 1955 in Atlantic City, New Jersey, he appeared in the World Wrestling Federation in the mid-1980s and mid-1990s and wrestled in the main event of WrestleMania II in 1986, facing Hulk Hogan in a steel cage match for the WWF World Heavyweight Championship. He also headlined the inaugural Survivor Series in 1987, as well as the first edition of Extreme Championship Wrestling's flagship event, November to Remember, in 1993. In July 2016, Paley's joined a class action lawsuit filed against WWE, which alleged that wrestlers incurred long-term neurological injuries and that the company routinely failed to care for them and fraudulently misrepresented and concealed the nature and extent of those injuries. The suit was litigated by attorney Constantine Kairos, who has been involved in a number of other lawsuits against WWE. The case was dismissed by U.S. District Judge Vanessa Lynn Bryant in September of 2018. Anthony Mango of Bleacher Report wrote that Paley's had a strained relationship with WWE over the years, and his involvement in the lawsuit likely prevented the company from inducting him into their Hall of Fame. Paley's was married and had a son named David. Pallies was fond of cats and had about 10 at the time of his death. He died on March 4, 2019 in Glassboro, New Jersey at the age of 63 from complications of diabetes. Ron Leavitt was an American television writer and producer. Born Ronald Leavitt on November 7, 1947 in Brooklyn, New York, he was the co-creator along with Michael G. Moy of the American television show Married with Children. The show's 259 episodes over 11 seasons made it the second longest lasting sitcom on the Fox network. The show became a springboard for Leave It to create a number of spin-offs, initially Top of the Heap, starring Matt LeBlanc, 
and Vinny and Bobby, also starring Matt LeBlanc. He subsequently co-created, executive produced, and wrote Unhappily Ever After. In more recent years, Leave It created and wrote several episodes of the WB's The Help. Other achievements outside of television include recognition by the state of California as Citizen Hero of the Year in 2001 and the equally notable accomplishment of out-eating wrestler King Kong Bundy in a cheesesteak sandwich eating contest at Dominic's Kitchen while Bundy was guest starring on Married with Children. He had two children, Matt and Samantha. He also had longtime partner Jessica Hahn. He died on February 10, 2008 from lung cancer at the age of 60. Rest easy, y'all. On this day in 1995, Liquid Swords was released. Liquid Swords is the second solo studio album by American rapper and Wu-Tang Clan member Jizza, released by Geffen Records. Recording sessions for the album began midway through 1995 at producer Riz's Basement Studio in the New York City borough of Staten Island. The album heavily samples dialogue from the martial arts film Shogun Assassin and maintains a dark atmosphere throughout, incorporating lyrical references to chess, crime, and philosophy. Liquid Swords features numerous guest appearances from the entire nine-piece Wu-Tang Clan and also Wu-Tang affiliate Killer Priest. Upon its release, Liquid Swords peaked at number nine on the Billboard 200 chart and number two on the top R&B hip-hop albums chart. The Recording Industry Association of America certified the album platinum in sales nearly 20 years after its release. Upon its initial release, Liquid Swords received critical acclaim for its complex lyricism and hypnotic musical style. Over the years, its recognition has grown, with a number of famous publishers proclaiming it to be one of the greatest hip-hop albums of all time. In 2007, the Chicago Tribune cited it as one of the most substantial lyrical journeys in hip-hop history. Following the success of two earlier Wu-Tang Clan solo albums, Method Man's Takao and Old Dirty Bastards returned to the 36 Chambers, the Dirty Version, Wu-Tang member Raekwon began recording his acclaimed debut, only built for Cuban Links, in early 1995. While he and producer RZA were putting the final touches on that album, RZA and Jizza began writing and recording what would eventually become Liquid Swords. In regards to their decision to begin the album at the time they did, Jizza later commented, we, the Wu-Tang, were on a roll, and it was the perfect time to get in the studio and just do it. I'm on a different level, trying to be cinematic, he remarked. Like that shit in Killer Hill where the kid gets his leg cut to hide the dope. That shit really happened, but I'm trying to make it more visual. Liquid Swords is a concept of being lyrically sharp, flowing like liquid metal, mercury, you know? It comes from this flick, Legend of the Liquid Sword, where people would get their head cut off, but it would still be on their shoulders. No one else would notice because the sword was so sharp. Wu-Tang is a sword style, and this here is the sharpest. I'd rather slip on the pavement than slip on my tongue. Similar to other early solo Wu-Tang albums, Liquid Swords was recorded in RZA's basement studio in Staten Island, with some beats playing for over two days straight while recording. When asked in a later interview about his opinion of the album's beats, Jizza remarked, I love them. A lot of them had a grimy, rock-like feel to them. I just remember absolutely loving them. In the same interview, Jizza described the writing process as real slow. He further commented, 
I don't say slow in the sense that it necessarily took me a long time to finish what I'm writing. I mean, Raekwon and Ghostface can step in and record a song in about 45 minutes. I, on the other hand, would often go back and finish rhymes that I started. I would say I piece things together more slowly then. Songs generally take me two to three days to write. Sometimes I take different sentences and put them together. Regarding the overall sensation of writing Liquid Swords, Jizza stated it's hard to say something is going to be classic or not, but I can say that I felt the magic with this one. I actually saw it grow and come together and felt that it was special as we were doing it. He later noted in an interview with the Seattle Times, it is great songs. It's not an ignorant album. It doesn't sound dated. If you listen to it and compare it to what's out now, it's timeless. Lyrically, it's not my best work, not at all. But the chemistry, production, overall, I mean, come on. RZA's atmospheric production, yes, it's my best album. The album's cover art was designed by Milestone Media founder, creative director, and chief artist Dennis Cowan, according to the album's liner notes. Cowan's black and white line art was inked by Inker Prentice Rollins. Milestone's color editor, Jason Scott Jones, created the cover color art, digitally at a time when digital coloring was emerging and comic art eventually becoming the standard. Jizz's personal manager, Jeffrey L. Garfield, commissioned Cowan. Garfield, an avid comic book fan, said the cover art was supervised under the auspices of Jizza Graphics, a subsidiary company of Jizza Entertainment, owned by Jizza and Garfield. The concept of the chessboard with its sword-wielding warriors was conceived by Jizza, an avid chess player. The Jizza version of the Wu-Tang Clan logo, the G using the logo iconography, was rendered by Wu-Tang Clan DJ Mathematics, who was also an accomplished graphic artist. Jizza also enjoyed a successful side career as a music video director, and with Garfield as writer and producer, created all four videos for the Liquid Swords album, Liquid Swords, Cold World, Shadow Boxing, Fourth Chamber, and I Got Your Back. Four total singles were released for Liquid Swords, the first of which was I Got Your Back, released on August 22, 1994. Similar to Raekwon's single, Heaven and Hell, the song first appeared on the soundtrack for the movie Fresh and was the first song written for the album, with its version being re-recorded in 1995. Describing the song's background and theme, Jizza later stated, This was a short rhyme I wrote for one of my nephews, when I said my lifestyle so far from well could have wrote a book called Age 12 and Going Through Hell. It's for my nephew who was 12 at the time, and whose father, my brother, had been locked up since 88. So he wasn't around for my nephew when times were rough, so I wanted to up my nephew a bit with this track. I had two nephews in the video, they were both real young at the time. And in video, they both had met up and shots rang out from some young gangsters. It's a shame because both those kids in the video, both nephews of mine, ended up getting in trouble for ringing out shots and are both doing time right now. It's kind of ironic. One of my nephews ended up getting eight years for that shit. So the whole song is a sad irony to me now. The second single released for the album was the title track Liquid Swords, released over one year later on October 10th, 1995. Jizza later commented, Usually I take a beat home and write to it for a few days, but it wasn't like that with this track. I think RZA played the beat for me and I just spit to it right there. The hook was actually a routine from around 84 that me, RZA, and Old Dirty would do. When the MCs came to live out the name, just like that. November 28, 1995 saw the release of the album's third single, Cold World. In regards to his writing approach to the song, Jizza stated, normally when I hear a beat, I already know where to go with it. I can picture the track and just vibe off it. As soon as I heard the beat to Cold World, 
I knew it would be another inner city story. The fourth and final single released for the album was Fourth Chamber, released early in 1996 with Shadowboxing as its B-side. Jizza later remarked, making Fourth Chamber was crazy because I didn't have a rhyme ready for that one. That's why I went last on it. Plus, Ghost killed it with his verse, so I knew I had to come correct. It's not even a Jizza song to me, it's a Wu-Tang song. And Ghost's verse, just incredible to me. He delivered so well. I don't know if you saw the video, I directed that too. This song, the guest verses, the video, the crowd response, all turned out perfect for this one. Upon its release, Liquid Swords received critical acclaim. Selwyn Sifu Hines from The Source called Jizza a highly focused master craftsman and felt that throughout Liquid Swords, he maintains a clear, precise flow, one that reflects deadly sharp purpose and skilled execution. Hines also praised Rizzo's production on the album, noting his increasingly sophisticated style, shuffling kicks, neck snapping snares, haunting melodies via strings or vibe-like textures and penetrating bass tones. In his review for Entertainment Weekly, Dimitri Ehrlich said that, with its tight beat, Liquid Swords emphasizes the finesse with which Jizza weaves his vocals over straightforward rhythms. Los Angeles Times critic Chio H. Coker described Jizza as a hip-hop MC Escher whose lyrics reveal layer after layer of thought with repeated listening, concluding that the album cements the Wu-Tang Clan as the kings of New York rap. Enemy hailed Liquid Swords as the best hip-hop album in years, citing RZA's spooked, creaky, incredible, dense production and Jizz's complex and quite brilliant lyrics. Mojo Magazine characterized the album as creepily beautiful, an East Coast hip-hop with a far more warped and disturbing slant on inner-city sickness than the in-your-face Californian equivalent. In Select, Matt Hall wrote that RZA provides a series of austere rhythms, sparsely dotting violin stabs and plucked harps to provide the perfect backdrop to genius's downbeat tales of New York's mean streets. Liquid Sword sneaks under the tape to qualify as Rap Album of the Year. Tom Doyle of Q wrote that Jizza can seem perhaps unreasonably hardcore in some of his approaches, but when his rhyming is enhanced by the dislocated soul chorus of Cold World, the result is dramatic and hypnotic. Liquid Swords continues to be held in high regard as one of the best releases in the Wu-Tang Clan's catalog and among the greatest hip-hop albums of all time. According to all-music critic Steve Huey, it is often acclaimed as the best Wu-Tang solo project of all, and cemented the genius Jizza's reputation as the best pure lyricist in the group, and one of the best in the 90s. Huey likewise viewed it as a significant progression for RZA as a producer, noting his experiments with stranger sounds and more layered tracks, while evaluating Liquid Swords as one of the group's undisputed classics, along with Enter the Wu-Tang, 36 Chambers in 93, and Raekwon's only built for Cuban links in 95. Reviewing Liquid Swords for Rap Review's Back to the Lab series, writer Steve Juan called it an album of 100% Wu-Tang sonic mastery, adding that among Wu-Tang Clan solo albums, it may be the best, if not one of the top two or three. Nick Katucci, writing in the new Rolling Stone album guide, said that on the album, Jizza went goth, painting the Wu street grime black. Record collector's Paul Bowler stated that Liquid Swords represented an artistic peak for the Wu-Tang Clan as a whole, noting that what he found to be their subsequent creative decline from Wu-Tang forever onward. Chris Smith from Stylist Magazine wrote that the group never yet managed to make anything this memorable, otherworldly, and strangely beautiful again. On October 8, 2015, 
the Recording Industry Association of America announced that Liquid Swords had earned a platinum certification for having sold more than 1 million copies. It became the first Wu-Tang Clan related album to get certified since 2004 when Method Man and Ghostface Killer both earned plaques. Happy 26th anniversary Liquid Swords. Thank you Jizza. Thank you Rizza. Thank you Wu. So that wraps up another edition of Over the Culture Podcast. Please make sure to check out my other show, Happening in the 90s, every Thursday with my buddy Matt G, as well as our sister show, Crush Gasm with Kendra, every Wednesdays. And, uh, yeah, don't say shit to me about my cowboys. I get it. Yeah. Hey, we, we had an off week. Six and two. Still head of the division. Fuck y'all. All right. Love y'all. Peace.